Welcome to episode 101 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. Thanks for tuning in. Well, this week's episode features an Olympic medalist and landscape photographer, Brent Hayden. It's an incredible discussion about how photography helped him cope with the stressors of training as an Olympic athlete and how it helped him reinvent himself after he retired as an Olympian. Uh, I think you'll really like this week's episode. Well, as a reminder, to celebrate the launch of episode 100, um, thank you all so much for listening for that long, we have collaborated with some of our former guests to offer some amazing discounts of their tutorials and their products to new and existing patrons of the podcast over on Patreon, which is at www.patreon.com slash f-stop and listen. So you have until the end of April uh, 2019 to sign up, and then the offer goes away. But uh, yeah, awesome. So new and existing patrons will receive the following discounts. 20% off Alex Noriega processing tutorial videos. 20% off Michael Shanebloom processing tutorial videos. 20% off Eric Bennett instructional, instructional videos. 20% off Joshua Cripps tutorials and 20% off Sarah Marino and Ron Coscarosa's nature photo guides ebooks, which there's a lot of them and they're really, really cool. So to get these discounts, all you have to do is sign up as a patron of the podcast at the $5 a month or level or higher before the end of April. And your discount codes will be revealed to you magically after you sign up. All right, well, special thanks to our incredible, amazing Patreon supporters and podcast producers who are supporting the podcast at the $20 a month level or higher over on Patreon. Michael Howard, Jack Curran, Eric Stensland, Chris Rice, Jeff Peterson, Charlotte Gibb, Jason Matias, Anton Everine, Lori Berenson, Roger Nadell, William Nurse, Ken Dono, Danny LeFrancois, James Bakavoy, Matthias at Photo Magica, and Richard Wong. All right, let's get to the show. Awesome. Well, this is so exciting. Uh, Brent Hayden, thank you for joining us on F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. Oh, thanks for having me. This is exciting. Yeah, yeah, thanks for reaching out. I think you're the very first person that's been on the podcast that has a Wikipedia page. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> you know, funny story about that is that one time there was actually something wrong on there. So I actually went in to correct it and they actually reverted it back to before my correction. They, oh, that's terrible. I didn't have the access to or the author authorization to actually fix my own Wikipedia page. Oh, my gosh. How hilarious that's, is that? That's stupid. <laughs> so I guess pr first and foremost, I guess it would be really helpful for people to know that the reason why you have a Wikipedia page, obviously because you're a super cool dude, but also it's because you were an Olympic athlete and uh, competed in – three Olympic, three Olympic meets. So 
Athens, Beijing, and London, and you actually got a bronze medal in the 100 meter men's uh, swimming freestyle uh, in the London Games. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's yeah, that's my story basically. <laughs> that's what I did. That's why I have a Wikipedia page. That's so cool, man. But but you're also a landscape photographer. Yeah. So I think first it would be really cool. Maybe just tell people a little bit about yourself in terms of who you are, where you live, um, married, kids, uh, what do you do full time? And why are you shooting photography as an Olympic athlete? (laughs) Let's see if I get all of that in. Um, So I'm originally from a small town called Mission in British Columbia. And I, I grew up there all the way through high school. I got involved in swimming there at a really young age. Uh, failed swimming lessons there, but you know that didn't stop me. Then after after high school, uh, I got selected to join uh, the National Swim Center in Vancouver. So I moved from Mission into Vancouver. Swam my entire ten year international career training um, with my coach there, and about a year and a half ago. Uh, moved here to New Westminster. So it's kind of a small town between Mission and Vancouver. So it's kind of like the best of both worlds. Got a little city, got a little small town there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I got married in 2012. Actually, it was a week after the Olympic Games. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my wife and I actually, we got married in Lebanon, just outside of Beirut, uh, where she's originally from. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was, uh, London was a bit of a whirlwind um, coming after um you know, after those Olympic games and, uh, getting married, uh, retiring from sport and, you know, trying to, you know, go through that transition from, you know, who I am as an athlete to, you know, finding out who I'm going to be, uh, after, after that. So now my wife and I, we run our own, uh, activewear apparel company called Astra Athletica. Awesome. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, we just took everything that I learned from sports about, you know, overcoming challenges to to reach your success, uh, that your challenges are actually going to help you uh, become who you are more than your successes will that, you know, because my medal in London really was the culmination of the lessons I learned from my failures in Athens and, uh, and Beijing. So I want to make sure that, you know, people out there know that challenges a part of the journey. And to just just rise through it. So we we put that all that branding and all that messaging into our our apparel line. And yeah, so it's we just kind of want to be that little voice that you know when people go through challenge that you know that you can do it and you can you can keep going and you're going to be so much more awesome if you when you come out the other side. So yeah, so, well, yeah. like I actually had written down a a question for you based on that transition and I was going to save it for later, but this is a perfect time to bring it up because I personally feel like um, I I've come a long ways as a photographer since I started, but it's because I've made a lot of mistakes, you know, like I took some really bad photos. I got into some really terrible post-processing habits. Um, I got into other just very poor habits in terms of, how you take photos in the field. And over many, many years, I've learned from those mistakes and have become a better photographer. So I guess my question is, how have you applied what you learned as an Olympic athlete into your into the photography realm? Yeah. Um, well, I'll start back kind of back at the beginning about how I got into it. 
I took photography courses in high school and this was still pre-digital. Uh, you know, so I'm kind of aging myself a little bit here. I got, <laughs> I'm 35 in case anybody's wondering, but yeah, I just, like, I just fell in love with, uh, with film and, uh, you know, playing around in the dark room. And it was just one of those things where I, I never, I always felt that I was, that I kind of had that artistic mind, but any kind of applied art, like, you know, drawing, sculpting, painting, all that stuff. Like I, I really sucked at it. <laughs> but, so, but I, I could always see the art. I just couldn't actually use my hands or use my fingers to, uh, to create it. So that's where I kind of fell in love with the photography um, because it was more of an extension of my vision rather than um, an extension of, you know, of my hands. Mm-hmm. And when I was swimming, one of the things that I did to, help balance my life as an athlete was I explored that artistic side because when you use that sort of, and this, I guess this is getting kind of, um, you know, into the psychology of it all, but you know, when you explore your creative side of your brain, you're using a completely diff- different area of your brain. So if I'm at say like at a training camp and things were just going like, you know, just so South because, you know, coach is like working as hard. Um, you know, we, you just, you kind of just start hating, waking up in the morning because you know you're going to go and have like a super hard practice and you're just like you just want to like curse at everything because it's not going well but you got to push through it um finding uh just taking some time and you know grab my camera and uh just go into the beach or you know into the forest or somewhere um and just you know just exploring the world through the lens it was it was very meditative for me yeah and the last year going into the london games that became a very uh, valuable uh, tool because I was going through a lot of uh, it, let's let's just say it, it was really really tough. Um, I was going through uh, tough times because my back was spazzing uh, like crazy. Uh, you know, just as an example, two weeks before the games, I couldn't walk for four days. Um, wow! And and one one of the first things I actually did when I was actually finally able to able to start walking around was I took my camera and I walked around the resort just just to take photos just to clear my head and uh kind of almost like find that balance again mm. uh, but yeah then then I retired from swimming and during that transition phase a, a lot of athletes actually go through um really difficult uh times because they kind of lose that whole identity of who they are yeah because you know we've been athletes our whole life yes and then all then all of a sudden, um, you know, like, and they also like they, the world kind of puts you up on this pedestal, especially if you're an Olympic athlete. And then all of a sudden you retire and that's gone. You know, so you lose your identity. Um, you lose your family because, you know, you're not around, you know, your coaches, your teammates anymore or any of your support staff. So all those people that really became part of your family are suddenly not there anymore. Um, start feeling like really alone. So a lot of athletes will actually, um, um, I've, I know a number of athletes who've actually become like addicts. Mm-hmm. They've gone arrested. Um, yeah. And I didn't think that that was ever going to happen to me, but I definitely noticed that as soon as you stop and you stop, you start losing, um, you, you don't get that endorphin hit uh, like you used to from training every single day. Right. You know, it's, I actually found that the photography was something was like that identity that I still kind of had that was still a part of me that I could kind of keep exploring. Mm. So that actually helped me a lot uh, during that, during that really, really difficult time to have another identity that I could sort of nurture. 
Yeah, I don't think I've <clears throat> talked about this on the podcast ever before, but uh, I was actually, I mean, I wasn't an Olympic athlete, but I was uh, I was a baseball player. I was a pitcher and I was, uh, I played uh, and actually was, I walked onto my college team and made the team because in my junior year of high school, I fractured my L5 vertebrae playing football and I didn't get recruited by any schools to play baseball because I was in physical therapy for like a whole year. But uh, I totally know what you're talking about because my freshman year of college, they wanted to redshirt me, um, and that meant basically you don't get to play at all. And I didn't want to do that at all, so I decided to quit baseball, which had been such a huge part of my life for you know, seven, you know, I guess at that point in time, it was probably 16, 15, 16 years of my life. And, and I, I played at a very high competitive level. Like, you know, I wasn't an Olympic athlete, like I said, but I was pretty good. And, uh, yeah, man, it was like, you, you lose part of your identity. You, such a big part of your life, uh, just gets, it's just gone. It's just erased. It's like a very, surreal experience at least it was for me and I had to spend probably a good two or three months just kind of rediscovering who I was as a person because I was I no longer could identify mm -hmm. as an athlete um, and it was very uh, mentally straining in terms of what it did to my in psychologically what it did to me so I I can kind of relate to what you're talking about a little bit yeah oh, that's awesome thanks so much for sharing that I love hearing how, um, you know, other people, um, going through, you know, like I think when you, when you hear other people talking about, you know, other things that they've, that they've gone through that they realize that, wow, I actually went through something similar and it might not even necessarily even be in sports. It's anything that they've been doing where suddenly, you know, you, you find that sort of your life suddenly has to take a different path and, you know, who, who are you really? You kind of, you remember that scene in Zoolander when he's when he's looking in the puddle? He says, "Who am I?" He looks back at you like, "I don't know." Isn't that the scene? Isn't that the scene where he's like, "I'm a merman"? <laughs> no, well, it was early in the movie, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, but yeah. Um, so yeah, like it's it's weird how like I wasn't planning on photography being that tool to help me get through that, but when it was going through that really difficult time, you know there it was. And I, I don't know how much harder it would have been if I didn't have that there. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Um, I think there's probably some parallels between being in a, a, a swimming athlete. Cause it's so, I feel like there's a lot of mental pressure on swimmers cause it's all an individual performance unless you're in a relay or whatever. But, and then uh, for baseball as a pitcher, like there's so much on your shoulders and it's, there's so much mental pressure like every every pitch is a different mental equation that you're having to run through in your head if i if i throw this pitch this is what could happen and i have to be ready for this and i have to run over there and i have to know every situation of every count in like how many strikes and balls there are and i feel like it's there's so much right brain that happens as an athlete i don't think people realize how much right brain gets used as an athlete so it's interesting to hear mm -hmm. you talk about how photography kind of was a release for you in terms of using a different part of your brain that was maybe pushed down by athletics or or maybe wasn't being as used as much and it was it was helpful for you to use that part of your brain to 
maybe disconnect for a minute from the the stressors that come with being a, a high end athlete. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, and the other thing too is like I guess um, you know if you look at my my style of shooting as well, you know it's it's very simple, um, you know, very uh, open space, and it's 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 nothing that I actually intentionally went out to go and uh, and create, but I just sort of found I sort of found myself when I was I would sit back and kind of look at the body of work that I was creating, and the images that I was kind of more being drawn to all had this sort of um, simpler sort of uh sort of feel yeah. and honestly, i th- i think it, it's it's kind of a combination of a, of a couple of things one uh just being an athlete is it's always go 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 like everything is always super intense you always give gotta give everything 100 and sometimes i just want to be able to just sit back and just breathe right and just just take that deep breath so i kind of feel calm when i look at when i um when i look back at my images and so from just even just looking at it, it kind of helps sort of, uh, again, it's sort of that going back to that whole sort of meditation uh, space. Because when I look at crazy busy imagery, especially if my life is, is feeling very stressed out, then it's like those images almost like stress me out more. Um, so it's it's kind of funny how that sort of, sort of happened. But then at the same time, being in swimming, everything is, you know, your vision is a black line on the bottom of the pool. And you're just going up and down this uh this black line and so i've actually I, th- I feel like my vision how most of my photos tend to be pretty center weighted mm. actually um made that way because my entire life i've just been staring at a this one black line in the center and just swimming up and down this black line yeah it's interesting you say that i'm really curious to hear how how it is you seek out and or find or see those images through the camera because um, I was going to bring this up in the inter- in the conversation, but I noticed that a lot of your photography is is very minimalistic, um, which is kind of what you're describing, and uh, mm-hmm. it's something that I personally have almost never been able to find in nature, <laughs> and so I'm really curious how it is how does you approach finding scenes like that? Because I think there's some, I think there's some power in those types of images. And, uh, and I want to get, I want to talk a little bit more about, about that too, but I want to hear about your approach to finding and or shooting those scenes. Well, I, uh, I look around a lot. (laughs) And if, if I find a, if I find a subject um, that resonates with me, uh, I'll walk around it, you know, walk back and forth, walk closer, walk backwards, um, pick up my camera, look, see what it looks like through the viewfinder. And I kind of try to f- I move around until I find that spot where there's no other distractions, um, nothing else that could be taking away from, from the subject. Um, I kind of, in my mind, I kind of feel like I'm almost like uh, weeding mm-hmm. the garden. Like if this thing does not particularly add to the image, then I'm going to find a way to get mm-hmm. it out of there. So I think one of the the easiest places I found to be able to do this was on the beaches because then I could just uh, shoot out towards the water because in the water there's not a lot uh, there's not a lot of distractions. And then to further uh, minimize you know the distraction from the water itself, uh, you know from the the waves and such or the or the clouds. That's where I got into doing the long exposure technique, you know, using uh, neutral density sure. filters. 
Uh, right. Cause then it just, it just smooths everything else out more and just brings more focus back to whatever, uh, the object is that I'm trying to bring your, your yes. attention to. So, so I did that and I was shooting digitally for a number of years or up, up until actually still less than a year ago, I was shooting, shooting digitally, uh, using, using that kind of mm-hmm. technique. And, but about eight months ago, I decided that I wanted to go back to film because, you know, every camera that, that seems to be coming out, it's like, oh, they've got these new settings or, you know, more megapixels and, you know, there's all these like features hidden deep down in the menu. And you're always like reading these blogs about how to set up your menu to be able to create the perfect image. And, and it just started making me feel like, well, I, I don't want to go out and be worried about all these different menu settings and going in and, and changing all these, all these things. Because to me, photography, it's, I, I still want it to be meditative. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know what? I'm just going to go back to film. It's going to take it. Cause then I can go out with a camera there's no batteries, right? It's just shutter and aperture and right. composition, right? And and um, I'm so glad I, I did that. Although I got to admit, not being able to see the image right away, you do tend to panic a little bit. But I'm hoping it with a little bit more experience that'll uh, that'll settle down. But yeah, it's it's been uh, it's been a really interesting journey uh, going back into going back into film. You also have to like preconceive, you know, whether it's going to be black and white or if it's going to be color. And if it's going to be color, like, you know, what kind of film, like color palette are you looking for? What kind of grain are you looking for? All that's got to be preconceived before the actual Absolutely. image. So, Did you find yeah. that, that your use of film helped helped you in the, in the transition into digital? Like, are you still using techniques that you learn in the film, in your film era? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've actually been asked by quite a few people now because uh, I've, I've had a couple art shows recently. So people have started asking me, you know, um, what's the biggest uh, piece of advice I could give for somebody who wants to get into mm-hmm. photography? Um, I say learn how to shoot <laughs> on film. Um, sure, you got, you know, there's the whole, you know, the learning curve with with digital is is steeper. But like you're going to be able to get to get taking good photos quicker, but oh, there's only about having like a, a seemingly endless memory card where every image does not necessarily matter. Like you could take the, you know, 500 pictures of the same thing. It's like, yeah, hey, you got one good one out, out of all that. Uh, when you slow down and put more intention into each image, I think that in the end, if even if you choose to go digital, that's going to make you a better photographer. Yeah, for sure. Right. Having, having that intention before you actually press the shutter. Yeah. I think it's, it's funny. Uh, in the last couple of years of my photography, I've taken more of a film approach with the images that I shoot. I, it, it's interesting. I think I went, I think I spent like 10 days in Iceland and I think I only took 400 photos, you know? Well, I'm jealous. <laughs> That's on my yeah, bucket but list. It was, like I was very intentional about when I would, you know, open the shutter and what would I, what I was shooting. It was, I was definitely not in a spray and pray mentality. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Of course, out of those 400, I think I got 10 really good shots. So. (laughs) Yeah. There's one thing, you know, uh, when you come back from an outing and you load up your memory card and you know, if you have like, you know, a thousand photos, all of a sudden that, that whole, joy of being out and you know 
capturing images all of a sudden I was like, oh God, I got to sort through all these photos now to find the good one. Yeah, it's funny. I think, I feel like people either have that reaction or they have the opposite reaction where they're very excited and can't wait to look at all of the photos. I think for me, it depends on, I guess it just kind of depends on my mood. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, this is, this is totally just like from my perspective, if anybody out there loves looking at 500 plus photos when they get back, then by all means do that. This is simply my oh, absolutely. perspective. <laughs> oh, well, it's awesome. funny. Um, one of the parallels I wanted to ask you about, so because of these minimalistic shots that you take as an athlete, um, cause I feel like you're at being an athlete probably informs some of your art, I would assume. Uh, yeah. uh, so a former guest, uh, Jason Matias, he actually shoots a lot of scenes where he has a singular uh, subject that's kind of isolated and there's not a lot of else, not a lot else going on in the scene. And he said he, he kind of did that intentionally to, uh, I guess there's this, there's research out there that shows that people that are in very stressful jobs, like high powered jobs, that if if they look at an image that's very simple like that, it actually can replenish the ego and give them more energy to take on more stress. And I'm wondering if you found any similarities when you look at your work in terms of either being energized to swim better or take on more as an entrepreneur or anything like that. Have you noticed that your style of imagery has a positive impact on your kind of psychology? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, thinking back to what, what I said earlier, I, I definitely see some parallels there. So I would, I would totally, uh, I would totally agree with that 100%. Cool. You know, Cause yeah, like if I, if I, like if I'm, if internally I'm already feeling like everything is, um, is stressed out and uh, you know, I just like the last thing I want to do is, is, taken an image that is full of chaos right so yeah it's just that's just yeah yeah. have you have you found it uh difficult to switch between film and digital like is that challenging for you in terms of i mean i know you already talked about oh i forgot to change change the shutter speed on the lens but are there other aspects of switching back and forth between film and digital that you found challenging no, from a technical standpoint, not at all. I think um, I think the biggest challenge is really just mental, just knowing that you have to preconceive your image before you press the shutter, mm-hmm. um, having the limitation of only having so many frames uh, on each roll, and then also just you know being okay with the fact that you might not see whether or not it works out for weeks, <laughs> right? Um, so having uh, it, it really tests your patience, and going from digital to that definitely made it uh that was the biggest challenge but from a technical aspect uh, not really mm-hmm. and i gotta say like it's 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 actually kind of fun um like there's there's other little things about shooting on film that i ju- that i just enjoy like the sound of the shutter um actually advancing the film between the shots and actually just hearing the the, the wheel crank and then you know, when you're done actually like winding up the film manually and taking it out and then loading in a new roll. I don't know. I just, all those little things um, kind of just make the whole process just so much more enjoyable than just throwing in a memory card and just pressing the shutter button, not having to do anything else. Yeah. I've, I've, 
I haven't really shot film other than like when I was really young and it was a disposable camera or a disc camera. So I haven't really dabbled in it. Do you, do you, do you ever take both cameras in the field or do you usually take one or the other? Yeah. For the first while I was taking my digital one uh, with me because the idea was that, okay, well, I don't want to risk taking it on film and then it not showing up. So I, I would actually take two pictures um, one on my film camera and then another one on my, uh, on my digital, just so that way I would have a backup in case it didn't work out. <laughs> and, and then what I found actually helped with, um, was having my digital camera with me and actually just using that as a light meter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I could actually see what the image would look like, um, on certain settings and then just apply those settings to, uh, to my Hasselblad. I feel like that's and, what I would do too. <laughs> yeah. So it, it made, it sort of helped with, um, you know, with the self doubt, you know, it was kind of that little bit of insurance that I sort of, uh, sort of needed. Um, and then I've kind of been easing myself off of having the other camera with me. Yeah. And, uh, right now, although I've just been using a light meter that I downloaded on an app, but I think it's time to actually invest in a, in a proper light meter. <laughs> I had some images that didn't quite work out on my last one, but I've also never shot in snow before and oh, you know, out yeah. of my whole role, only two of the images were actually exposed properly. And so that's something that, uh, that I, you know, another failure, I guess that, that I learned, but thankfully I was able to get at least two images that, that turned out. Yeah. I think, I think the limitation of shooting on film is actually a really great creative exercise. I mean, I think you could, I feel like you could even simulate it as a digital photographer, if you had like a small, a small memory card or something like that, or like you just purposely never looked at, you know, looked reviewed your images after you shot them. I think you could probably simulate some of the same types of things that I think film is good for as an artist. Yeah, no, that, you actually raise a really good point there. Cause I was just thinking about that. Yeah. Like you could put in a small memory card, and then actually put like a cover over your over your uh, review screen. Yeah, you totally can. Right, so you can't you can't look. Yeah, um, it's definitely a great exercise for for people to learn how to create that intention before they actually shoot and they, to kind of appreciate each image a little bit more. Well, it definitely forces you to think a lot more before you take the photograph. Uh, um, it's, I don't know that it's a better artistic process, but it's definitely an artistic process that forces you to slow down, which, yeah. which I think, I think personally, I feel like that's a, that's a good thing as an artist to slow down and really think about what is the subject that that's oftentimes what I struggle with. When I look back at some of the photos I take in the moment, they feel great. But when I go back and review them, I'm like, well, I don't really see a subject here. It's it's a cool scene, yeah. but there's no subject, you know. Yeah. And or me, there's no, or there's no feeling. Um, yeah. Behind what you might have been feeling when you were standing there. Yeah. Right. I feel like a a, a landscape photo that doesn't have a, a obvious subject is not a very good one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, unless you're intentionally trying to shoot um, like textures. Um, sure, but you know, the texture like, is the subject, you know. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say one of the thing, one of my favorite things to do uh, in that vein, in terms of limiting your ability as a creative artist, 
is I like to shoot with primes, you know, prime lenses. Yeah. Because, and maybe just take that one prime lens for your outing. Like, don't bring any other lenses with you. Because I think it forces you to see the world differently. And you, I don't know, you just come away with some very different images when you limit your, limit what you can use as, as your tools. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with that. Um, like now with, you know, when I was shooting on digital, you know, I, I had all zoom lenses, um, I, except for, I had one prime that was, uh, the Canon 85, uh, 1.2 mm-hmm. absolutely loved, 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 loved that lens. It was that, that lens was probably my favorite. Um, but I primarily shot on a, on a 24 to 72.8. Uh, just, it was just a very versatile lens because the 85 is like so specialized. So it didn't work for most uh, times, but when it did, I got that, that thing created amazing things. But in order to actually get into my Hasselblad, I actually had to make the choice to sell one of my lenses. <laughs> and the one I ended up using the least was also my favorite. So that was a really tough decision I had to make to sell that lens so that I could afford to buy um, to buy the Hasselblad. Yeah, this struggle is real. I'm getting ready to sell three lenses so I can buy two lenses just because two of the lenses I want to sell, I never use, even though they're awesome, but I, I know I'll use these other two lenses a lot more. So it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I know. And, and, um, you know, they only come in prime lenses. Oh, right? so, so I had to buy. Yeah. So I had to pick, okay, well, which three are going to be the ones that I'm most likely going to be able to use. Uh, so I had to do a lot of research. It came with an 80. Um, then I found a 50, uh, online, and then uh, another photographer in town here was selling his 120. So so I ended up ended up with uh, with those three ends. Going from digital to medium format, those numbers do not uh, right. correlate to each other at all, right? Like a, yeah, like, like a, a 120 is like a 40 or something like that, right? Oh, it's like um, the easiest example I could think of would be the 80. I think is closest to um, a 50 on digital, uh-huh. right? So and then like the 50 is actually more of a, more of a landscape. It's, it's a lot wider, kind of like maybe the equivalent of like a 24. Uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. Uh, I actually have been out in the field a few times with some film photographers and they were showing me their lenses and I'm like, Oh wow, that's a 300 millimeter lens. (laughs) Uh, It's, it's, it's more like 120 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is funny. But at the same time, it's it's also like sometimes I feel like photographers also get too overwhelmed by feeling like they need to pack too much. Like, yeah, it's like oh, you know, got to have this lens and this lens and this lens and this lens and this lens. Where you know, like you were saying, you know, another exercise could be you know throwing in just a prime lens. Well, and also just going out with just you know one lens, right? Um, like again, like from from again, this is this is coming from me, you know, coming at it from the more. Um, you know, meditative, uh, side, um, side of it. But like the more stripped down I can get, the better I feel. Like if I'm going out there and you know, my, my bag is heavy, it, it starts kind of weighing down the whole situation, yeah. like the whole, the whole outing. And I, I just feel like I'm constantly like going through my bag and trying to find this or trying to find that attach this lens or, you know, and it kind of like just takes away from the whole experience. So like, I was like, I'm all the time trying to think, well, what can I leave at home? And then when I go out, like a, like the, the less I take, actually, the better I end up feeling about about the photos that I'm actually creating. 
Yeah, I have the same experience, actually. It's it's kind of funny. Some of my best photos are from backpacking trips where I had to maybe leave a heavy lens behind because I knew it would just be too heavy to carry. And and you just make do with what you have, and, and it forces you to think outside the box and see things. You, you see the world so much differently when you can only use maybe one or two lenses. And I don't know. I think it's a it's an interesting exercise that I think people should give a shot. Well, yeah, because I think also too, people tend to think too much that their camera is what's creating the image. Like, no, the camera is just a tool. It's just an extension of your own vision, right? So it kind of forces you to kind of explore your own vision um, a bit more and rely less on the equipment that you're actually using. For sure. Um, Because like I've, I've seen so many photographers, you know, they're always buying the newest, latest thing. They're blowing thousands of dollars every single year but their images just don't improve. Mm-hmm. You know, like the images are still very average. Like they're spending more time on the equipment and less on their actual photography. So I think it's sometimes just like, you know, the one thing that I find like companies want to do is they want you to buy the newest, latest thing. Right. So, but the less I think we can kind of get caught up in that whole mindset that you can't take a good image unless you have a good camera is just, um, you know, it's, it's just not true. You can create amazing images with, you know, like, I'm not going to swear. I was going to say something, but, uh, <laughs> you know, like you don't need big, expensive equipment to take compelling images. Although on the flip side of that, I have had a couple of experiences where I, I had a, sh- a shot envisioned and the lens that I, the lenses that I had with me, just weren't capable of, of giving me that vision. Usually like I didn't have a wide enough angle or I didn't have a long enough telephoto, but usually that's it. You know, it's, it's usually not because I didn't have a zoom or it's usually because I just didn't have a wide enough lens or whatever, or it wasn't, the F stop wasn't quite fast enough or whatever. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm thinking more about the, uh, the actual bodies and uh, a little bit less about the lenses. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, Let's be honest. Like I'm looking at something like very specialized, right? Um, or especially like you know, if you're a videographer, then that's obviously a, a whole other, um, right. a whole other uh, arena. And yes, you you need you need specs. Um, but really, it it just comes down to um, it just comes down to just creating that image with whatever you have in your hand. Uh, you know that what's that cheesy saying? The best camera you have, or the best camera for you is the one that's on you. Correct. No, I'm pretty sure I paraphrased that poorly. Yeah, no, I think that's pretty much it. Well, let's shift gears a little bit. I one of the things I I wanted to kind of explore with you um, is the is maybe a little bit more personal. But what is the relationship between uh, mental health and photography for you as an Olympic athlete? Yeah, um, because obviously it, it involves sports, but it was um, it was very the most difficult time for me was getting ready for the Olympic Games. Um, you know, I had proposed to my wife, and so we were planning a wedding after the the Olympic Games, and ended up getting into really big problems with uh, with my side of the family, and it was really taking a taking a toll. Like there were days where um, you know I wasn't sleeping. Um, that that actually happened all the time. Um, you know, which sucks as an athlete when you're trying to prepare for the Olympics and you have to be up at 5 a.m. to go train and you're 
not sleeping and then you miss a training session because by the time you actually fell asleep it was like you know 20 minutes before your alarm goes off <laughs> um uh, like that's not the situation uh you want to be in because then your confidence level is just gets um just gets shot and you know you're thinking that well i've just wasted or like i'm i'm potentially going to be wasting 26 years of uh I guess 22 years of my life preparing for this moment and I can't, I can't do it. So, but yeah, it was, um, yeah, I was just trying to, how, how do I say it without getting emotional? Well, I was in a really, yeah, I ended up in a really, uh, dark place, um, with me and my family. Um, and it, it, now this resulted in, um, me and certain members of my family not talking, uh, for five years, um, afterwards, um, you know, I had to get on to, a routine with my team psychologist check-ins weekly um, with my coach and obviously all the all the nights you know, crying to to my wife um, because obviously this also affected her all those all the people that I could reach out to 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 talk to about you know like I said like you know my coach and my psychologist um, obviously that was a, that's a huge part of it and, and I needed to be able to talk to somebody but I also needed the I, I was able to use that photography because that would allow me to kind of just escape everything. And when I'd be out with my camera, um, first I'd get lost in my camera, but then I'd also start to kind of get lost in my own mind and I'd be able to sort of see things from a different perspective. It actually helped me um, find clarity in a lot of the situations that I was going through and helped me formulate my thoughts and, uh, sort of interpret what my emotions uh, actually were. I, it was one of those days where I actually came to realize that, yeah, you know, I I actually need to call them and have the most difficult conversation of my entire life. And I actually had to call my parents and uninvite them to the Olympics. Oh, wow. They already had their tickets. They had booked their flights. They had their hotel. Um, they had planned all these things there and I had to call them up and actually tell them that they weren't allowed to come uh, because of that. And it was funny how it ended up being photography that allowed me the chance to actually come to terms um, with that and decide that that was the best course of action that I was going to be able to do to, do to save my performance in London. Mm. What do you think is, <clears throat> was it about photography as an art form that gave you this space and or the inspiration i guess to to do that i think on one hand it's just uh it could just be that it was it's something that gets me out of the house because i, I know uh a lot of times you know when you're feeling stressed out or you're feeling depressed you just want to close your doors close your blinds and just sit on the couch and you know maybe watch tv or something and um it just it actually just forces me to to get out and just that simple act alone you know has tremendous effect on on what your brain is actually going through so mm -hmm. for some people that might be fishing other people might be going for uh for a hike other people might be just going to the gym but you know if i could just go find a beach somewhere and just uh just walk the shores and just listen to the sounds of the the water um, running along the rocks and uh, or the wind blowing um, and just kind of finding that sort of serenity mm -hmm. as, as cheesy as that sounds no it doesn't man i uh 
so last year I got uh, I got laid off in January, and I had already had a trip to to Iceland planned in March. Uh, so I just kept the trip planned. I didn't change my plans at all, but I was still super just emotionally affected by being laid off from work and all of the things that that meant in terms of you know being separated from a lot of the people that I cared about the most at work and and like I had invested so much of my my who I am as a person into my work and it was just devastating and having that trip to Iceland uh was just the perfect way for me to kind of rebound from from that experience because I I did, I was able to have those moments in nature where I could just kind of contemplate like what was important to me and like what was it what was about that experience that I could learn from and yeah I don't know it's just it's an interesting thing that it it creates space mental space but also I don't know like spiritual space where you can I don't know find ways to 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 overcome challenges that you're having either emotional or mental or even probably even physical yeah do do you find uh that when you're going through that, that you're, that it actually had an effect on your images? Yeah. So I would say some of my best photography for me personally, looking back on it has come from moments where I was either, I I guess the best way to put it, it comes from extremes. So either moments of extreme happiness or extreme sadness or anger like not not much in between like when i don't have those kind of big swings of emotion the the images that i produce tend not to be as good i don't know if your experience is similar or not yeah that that's why that's exactly why i asked um because a lot of the times i had noticed that um my my best images um you know, this is going back to what the artwork I was producing when I was swimming, which I mean, none of those are actually on my website because to me now it's like I've, I've come so much further since then. Sure. Uh, but what the days when I was feeling the most stressed were the days where the ended up being the days that I felt my photography was progressing the most. Hmm. Right. Like I just look at my images and maybe it's because I have a certain con- um, emotional connection to what I was feeling when I created the image. I couldn't really tell you, but it was just, um, but my images, they just seemed better. Isn't that interesting that, that our best work comes from moments of, of extreme adversity. (laughs) And you hear that all the time with, uh, with artists of other mediums. Yes. That when they put the emotion into, into their work, uh, that's when they produce the the best stuff, whether they're, you know, a songwriter or a sculptor or, uh, or a painter. Um, Yeah. I mean, you hear that all the time. So, why would photography be any different? Yeah, I guess it's not. <laughs> I mean, even if you're not like, you know, um, setting up a scene to to tell a story, like, even if you're just going out um, out for nature photography, uh, you know, what you're feeling still has an effect on how you're seeing the world. Absolutely. Yeah, that's definitely what I've noticed. I feel like my most mediocre images come from when, I'm the happiest, maybe not the happiest, but just, I guess, satisfied, you know, not, there's not really, I don't feel like there's any challenges. Things are kind of going okay. 
but the best photos come from when something weird is happening in my life or something really amazing just happened in my life. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was actually a couple, uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, actually, you know, like I said it was the, it was one around that time when, um, you know, I, I told you that I was just, um, not in a good mental space to hop to hop on the podcast because my, my day was just going so poorly right you remember that yes yeah so thank you again for for rescheduling oh, no um, but it was uh can't, can't remember if it was exactly that day or i think it was another day um it was a few yeah it was like two i think like one or two days after that um i was just having just a really bad day uh you know working on astra and i just i just started getting really stressed out so Eventually, I just kind of like threw my hands up in the air and uh, texted my buddy. And I was like, you know, just go meet me down at, uh, at Pier Park. I'm going out with my camera and uh, just come hang out with me. So this is one of the times when, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't go by myself. I, I kind of wanted to, I kind of needed somebody else to talk to, but also to do photography at the same time. Mm-hmm. And just from, just from being out and, you know, th- these were the, this was the day when I created, um, you know, when I went out shooting in the snow and I only got two images that actually worked out. <laughs> but when I came back, um, nothing to necessarily do with my images, but but the energy that I was actually feeling was completely different than before I actually left. Mm. And suddenly um, what started off as a really bad day, things started, um, started going the other way where um, within an hour after I came home, I was... I can't remember what I was doing, but all of a sudden, like I heard, uh, heard the notification on my phone go, and we got an order, and I was like, "Oh my god, we, we got an order!" Like we hadn't had an order for uh, for for a week, and then uh, later on that day, I got another order. Right, so <laughs> it was it was just crazy how um, how just me just finally like letting go of all that negativity and just going out and just doing something that I actually uh, just enjoyed doing just kind of started changing the energy that I was, um, that was, I was feeling in the universe. All right. And things, right. Cause you kind of, you get what you're manifesting. Mm-hmm. Right. So because my mood changed and I was feeling more positive, I felt like more positive things were starting to happen for me. Yeah. It's interesting how it's not only, it's not only a relationship with the, uh, how good your images turn out, but it's also, a feedback loop where it actually makes you feel differently about where you're at in that moment, mm-hmm. which is an interesting thing. I feel like I wonder if a lot of people are aware of that in themselves as photographers, because I know that I'm not necessarily aware of it until I kind of maybe look back and I go, Oh yeah, that was a really cool day because, because of that happened. And if we spent more time, kind of retrospectively looking at some of our images and why they turned out so well, there may be more of a relationship between the image quality and what was going on and, or what that moment meant to us. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now it always kind of reminds me of that. uh, You know, there's, there's that, um, there's that saying like a bad day of fishing is better than a good day at the office. Right. so it was kind of like even um you know back when I was swimming there there were still times where you know I'd, I'd be super stressed out and I go and take my camera or go out and take a bunch of pictures and you know 
all every single picture turned out like garbage but the fact is i still got out of the house and i still enjoyed walking around uh, the trails or walking along that beach and just just being out there and yeah you know so there's there's still value um in that um aspect as well yeah absolutely well one of the other topics i wanted to talk to you about is uh the entrepreneur aspect of where you at where you're currently at in your life and i'm curious uh, to know a little bit more about how it is you arrived to want to become an entrepreneur and how that relates at all to your photography yeah i think i just always kind of had that entrepreneurial uh, mindset um you know even early back when i was learning how to do photoshop or using photoshop one of the things i would do um as kind of exercises for myself was i would create um almost like photographs for um a fictitious apparel line that I had in my head, right? So I'd go to Hawaii and I'd photograph uh, surfers and then I'd come up with like the logo for like, you know, they're like, you know, their brand that they would be out there representing and things like that. Um, so I, I think somewhere, somewhere down, you know, somewhere back there, I just kind of always was in that mindset that, you know, I, I wanted to have my own, uh, my own apparel line. And it, I didn't necessarily start the journey to create uh, an apparel line. A lot of it started from uh, all the motivational, inspirational speaking that I was doing. And I was just always kind of, you know, going back to the same message about how, you know, challenges and failures are the things that are actually going to make you stronger. So you're able to withstand or even thrive in the situations that are going to be presented to you later on. And I always kind of felt like, well, you know, I need, I need this message to get, beyond just the room that I'm actually uh, that I'm actually speaking to. And one of the ways that I decided that I wanted to do that was just putting it into a brand. So I, I set out to create you know the brand that would that would represent that. Um, I was doing it all on Photoshop because uh, I became pretty proficient uh, at that. I never really figured out Illustrator, but that probably would have been the better way to go. But, you know, uh, we were actually living in Egypt for three months uh, in Cairo and we had no cable. Half the time we had no electricity. So I'd be watching the watching the battery on the laptop dwindle away. Uh, and, you know, one of the ways that I would kind of pass the time was work was creating this um, this brand. And then my wife was actually there for for singing. And but one day uh, she's looking at what I had created and she goes, you know, my friend's uh, uncle owns a bunch of factories here, you know, apparel factories. Why don't we put this on, put these on clothing? <laughs> so like, right. So we actually went to the factories and we, you know, he gave us like the full tour and, and everything. And uh, after that, we're like, yeah, like, let's just, uh, let's just do it. Um, I mean, we're not getting our, our stuff made there. Um, but that's kind of how that, um, how that sort of um, spawned. And one of the, one of the cool things is that, you know, being a photographer is that, you know, our company has a photographer. Yeah. Right. So, so all the product shots uh, that you see on the website, um, we just set that up in our living room. Um, you know, I got a bunch of Ellen Chrome lights and uh, you know, white backdrop and just, we just set up in the living room. I had to show my wife how to take the pictures. <laughs> right, so I'd be like, Honey, you're you're focusing behind me. You got to make sure you're focusing, like you know, focus on this spot right here, right? And then I go back and she take the pictures, and it 
it told and they work so we were able to do all of that ourselves i was gonna say it probably helps that the uh the main model is an olympic athlete yeah yeah i guess i guess that does help <laughs> right? and uh, my wife is uh is a singer so that that definitely helps uh as well so what is your what is your goal for your journey as an entrepreneur uh, I mean, we just we just really want to, um, you know, spread that message out there and just kind of be that brand that is all about supporting people and making people believe that anything really is possible. Because I think a lot of the times we get so caught up in, um, you know, not just our own self doubts, but list, but listening to the doubt of others. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really why a lot of us don't um, don't succeed or when things get tough, we we just kind of decide that, you know, we're not, we're not going to push through it. So really the, I guess like the mission was just to kind of create that culture of people that just don't quit and rise through challenge. Um, that's like, that's our slogan, rise through challenge. Yeah. Um, I mean, ultimately, you know, we want to, this to be a successful business. So we, I mean, from a personal standpoint, you know, we also, um, I guess you say, we kind of want the freedom to be able to live the lives that, that we want to be able to, to live as well. Like one of the goals I have is, uh, is to be able to travel more for, for the photography. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to go to Iceland, you know, like I said, I said, I'm jealous. You've been there. Um, like there's so many places around the world that, um, that I want to be able to go, um, and take and take my camera. Yeah. Have you, have you thought about, uh, using some of your talents as an entrepreneur in cross weaving that into your, your photography at all? Uh, how do you mean? I don't know trying to make more of a living based on your photography, but from an oh. entrepreneur mindset. I started doing photography for work uh, for a little while, um, you know, doing real estate photography um, or, you know, corporate headshots and, and things like that. And it made me want to stop picking up my camera. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Um, Cause like, and I don't mean that in a sense, like I just didn't like my camera anymore, but it made me not want to go out and create art anymore. And that's really, and remember, and that was that thing that I needed for, for balance in my life. And I started feeling like I was starting, starting to lose that. So, mm-hmm. so I promised myself that I would, um, that I would stop doing that. And so I haven't done that for, for a few years now. And that, make, that makes a lot of sense. I, I don't know the best way to uh, to say it, but yeah, I was like, it was just, I just wasn't enjoying going out and taking photographs anymore. Um, but now that I've, I've had some time away from that, I'm, I've kind of been exploring the idea that maybe, maybe now's another time I could give it another shot and just, you know, doing it differently, maybe just not doing that type of photography. Um, because I did a photo shoot for Astra uh, a couple of weeks ago with, um, with some friends and I actually had a blast doing that. Like that was actually, that was actually a lot of fun. And maybe, maybe it's because I'm not getting paid for that. Right. Like I, I don't, I don't have a client that's paying me and has like a certain expectation or something like that. I, I was still kind of shooting for me. Uh, so that, so yeah, but it, it definitely kind of opened my mind that maybe, uh, maybe I could own myself up to, uh, to kind of doing photography as a bit of an entrepreneur again. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like a lot of photographers struggle with the business side of photography, especially people that actually, you know, I think typically what happens is people get out there, they start taking photos, uh, people start wanting to buy those photos, and then they realize, oh, maybe I could 
maybe I could do this more full time. And, and then you realize like, Oh, it's actually a lot harder than it sounds to do it as a full time, uh, entrepreneur, I guess, because it really is an entrepreneur activity to take your art and push it to actually making a living out of it. I think. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, I mean, I've been, you know, going at it from more like, like, you know, like the artist, uh, side, like, I guess you could say in a way I, I have been doing a little, like, a little bit like an entrepreneur where, um, you know, I've been putting my artwork in, um, in galleries and, uh, and doing shows and, you know, I'm trying to sell my artwork rather than, you know, the other side, which is, you know, taking pictures for clients. Right. Um, and, and, and that's been, uh, that's been a huge challenge, especially like, you know, one, when you're trying to decide like, okay, well, what is my art worth? I think that's uh that's a huge um, question that a lot of artists uh, get stuck on here. Right? Like, how, like how much are people willing to pay for my work? Right. So I, I had to talk with, um, with other uh, photographers to kind of figure out, well, like, you know, what's their thought process and then deciding, you know, what the best process that was uh, that I thought was going to work for, for me. And then talking to galleries as, as well. And I actually reached out to, so I actually just had an art show down in uh, down in Washington State, uh, an exhibition uh, down there, which which was really great at the Casera uh, Galleries in Stanwood. And but I've also reached out to um, to other galleries and um, around. And it's I think one of the things that a lot of photographers probably uh, fear is the the idea of rejection because art really is an extension of who you are. It's a, it's kind of an, an extension of your soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, to speak. so it's kind of like when you get that rejection, we're in a gallery it's like, um, you know, your stuff's not good enough for us. Um, or it's maybe it's not good. Maybe good enough. It's not the right word. Or maybe it's just like, you know, they're, they're not the gallery for you. It kind of like has like an effect like, on you beyond just like, Oh, well, that didn't work. out. It's like, it kind of like deep, it can, it can almost like devalue you. Yeah. Beyond your art like oh my my art's not good therefore i'm not a good artist therefore like i suck right like it's funny how you kind of get your mind kind of goes through that sort of um a waterfall and you suddenly find yourself down there then then next thing you know you're second guessing yourself well is this even right for me at, at all but um um, that that's actually one of the reasons why i actually even started exploring color was actually because i got a I wouldn't say it was a rejection, but it was just um, there was a gallery that I was really excited to show my stuff to. And they just kind of looked at it and went, our clients don't like black and white. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, oh, man, because <laughs> like that's always sort of how how I had um, how I had seen things. But then I decided like, well, you know, instead of just like, you know, instead of just being like, you know, feeling rejected and just going to continue shooting black and white, why don't I actually open open my doors a little bit and actually explore color mm-hmm. a little bit for myself because I never really thought about it before. I'd always wanted to do black and white. Like that was always the intention. So I was like, okay, well, you know what? I'm actually going to take this on as a bit of a challenge for myself, not to create color work so that I could go back to the gallery and be like, Hey, look, I created color work. What do you think of this now? <laughs> um, I mean, I probably still will email and be like, Hey guys, guess what? I created this color work, but, it, but for myself, it was, um, you know, it just, it just kind of made me think that, you know, maybe I will just kind of challenge myself to uh, to create color work. And so my challenge is trying to still use color as tones that I would see in black and white. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So I don't know if I'm succeeding, but I can I can tell you I'm actually really uh, I'm enjoying it, and to me that's the most important thing. Yeah, I had a similar, not gallery related, but a similar kind of realization that uh, I really enjoy taking um, pictures of more abstract nature, so like forest floors or tree you know just the tree branch or what you know just something very abstract that's not as like grand scenic as i normally would take yeah and i've found that it's been really fun to explore kind of a new type of photography because uh it's almost like learning all over again it's really fun <laughs> yeah it's that's i think that's the one thing that um that actually makes great athletes is you know when you realize that by doing something a little bit different, it opens up the possibilities of, you know, being able to, like for me to anything that could tell me that I can go faster, that I can get to a level that I'd never achieved before. It's the same thing in photography. And uh, so when I, when I find that thing that I can just, yeah, I just kind of like explore it and just kind of, yeah, I just kind of have fun with it and just, yeah, see where it takes me is, is really exciting. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, cool, man. So who do you think our listeners should want to learn more about or hear on the podcast? I think you guys would really love to learn about it and listen to Michael Levin. Now, Michael's a f- photographer here. He's in galleries all over the world. And uh, I, I don't know if he knows this, but I consider him a bit of a mentor uh, for, for my <laughs> own uh, photography. Years ago, he gave me, um, we, we did a trade. He gave me a one-on-one uh, lesson to learn um, long exposures. Um, like I, want, I wanted to learn like, you know, his thought process and uh, see what I could apply uh, to myself. So he gave me a free one-on-one lesson in exchange for a swim lesson for his girlfriend. <laughs> that's awesome. Right? So that's the one benefit of, of being an Olympic athlete is you can make those little trades like that. So because he was doing a work. Um, a workshop here in Vancouver and I sent a message about how sad I was. I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to attend the workshop because I was going to be out of town. So he actually made that offer um, to me. So we did that. And um, yeah, he's, he's given me a lot of advice over the years, uh, right to, um, you know, printing and, uh, and displaying my work. Um, definitely check out his, uh, his work. It's uh, Michael Levin uh, CA. Yeah. I'm looking at uh, it now. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, cool, man. This has been uh, really fun. And uh, like I said, it's really cool to have you on the show and talk about the interplay of athletics and art. I think there's a lot more of that that happens that people may not be aware of. So I'm really happy that you could come on the show and, and talk about your experience. It was really, it was really fun. Yeah, I know. And thank you so much for giving me the the opportunity to to tell my story, my experience uh, with your audience. I, I think uh, you know to kind of summarize. You can you can focus on the what of photography. Um, you know you can you can kind of get lost in it. You know in like you know proper settings and uh, and lights and you know have, making sure your aperture and your shutter speed is is perfect and all that. But for me, it's like, I, and I think a lot of photographers out there um, you know would really benefit from taking a step back and thinking about why you do photography. Absolutely. I think, I think when you find your why, because, you know, in sport, my best races were happened when I had my why. Hmm. And it's, and I've noticed it's been exactly the same thing with my photography. Have you ever watched that, um, 
Oh god, what's that guy's name? Uh, he he's a uh, he's on YouTube and he's a couple of TED talks, but he says uh, start with why. It's uh, Simon Sinek. It's uh, start start with why, and it's all about leadership. But I think it's the same kind of idea when you focus on the why of something. It kind of just removes everything else. It makes it kind of it just focuses you on really what's important and removes all of the extraneous crap and allows you to just really succeed. So I think it's the same with art. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, thanks again. This has been really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, thanks Brent for reaching out and joining me on the podcast to share your story with the world. Uh, it was really, I don't know, just motivational for me just to listen to your story and talk to you about uh, the struggles of being an athlete and how photography helped you through that process. So I hope listeners were as touched by the story as, as, as much as I was. Um, all right, well, shifting gears, uh, I want to take a moment to reintroduce all of you to one of the podcast patrons, Anton Everine. He's a super cool dude, and he's an amazingly talented software engineer and landscape photographer who created an awesome luminosity masking panel called Arc Panel. It's super rad, trust me. (laughs) Uh, It focuses on simplicity and speed. Uh, I've been using it a lot myself over uh, TK panels, and I think it's a lot faster and it's a lot more intuitive than what TK has to offer. So I really encourage you guys to check it out. Uh, It provides uh, 16-bit luminosity and saturation saturation mask. I don't know why I struggle with that word so much. (laughs) Uh, For lights, darks, midtones, and zones, with options to refine and apply them to any kind of adjustment layer, Um, And it really can do some amazing stuff. I like to use the dodge burn feature myself uh, to create some nice, uh, I don't know, easy ways to kind of paint in some lights. You know, that's all the rage these days. (laughs) Uh, Anton just released a version 2.0, which has some really cool speed improvements. And uh, one of my favorite features, which is a color mask uh, with full selection control. So check that out. Um, you can try it for free over at arcpanel.averine.photo. That's A-R-C-P-A-N-P-A-N-E-L dot A-V-E-R-I-N dot photo. There will also be a link in the liner notes. And uh, I've got two more free copies of our Arc Panel available uh, for podcast fans. All you need to do is uh, write a really clever five-star review about the podcast over on iTunes. Uh, send me what you wrote in a direct message on Instagram or whatever your favorite social is or email it to me. I don't care. Um, and just, just be patient because I'm going to be away from internet service for a few days uh, while I'll be shooting in uh, southern Utah. In fact, I'm probably doing that right as we speak um, when this podcast gets live. Um, another way that you can support the podcast if you're not into Patreon or supporting some of our former guests is to simply use our B&H affiliate link uh, to buy your upcoming photography equipment. Uh, The link is in the liner notes and it's also over on the website for the podcast. Um, Thanks to listener and uh, Patreon supporter Luis Arroyo who just used the affiliate link to purchase his brand new Nikon Z setup. Um, Looking forward to seeing your awesome photos that you create with that great setup. 
And of course, you can support us on Patreon. It really does help. And we are super, super close to our second goal of getting to $1,000 a month, which I will use to create a landscape photography award. So check it out. Patreon.com slash f-stop and listen and as always you can follow us on the social medias instagram facebook twitter all that fun stuff just look for a matt Payne photo or f-stop and listen we also have a reddit page which i'm trying to resurrect if anyone's interested in helping with that project i would be super grateful because i am not a daily user of reddit but um, i think it does have a lot of value Uh, for a platform for discussion and community building. So uh, if anyone's interested in that, hit me up. All right. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.